Jeroboam. We're introduced to him in 1 Kings chapter 11. He's an agent of God's punishment. Solomon keeps just get distracted and drifting off from God and worshiping other gods. And in chapter 11, it says, 1 Kings 11, God raises adversaries beginning in verse 9. God actually raises up enemies to get, Jeroboam, to get Solomon's attention. And, and most of them are like, you've you got these foreigners, but you've got this one adversary. Jeroboam, verse 26, son of Nebat, servant of Solomon. He lifted up his hand against the king. And here's the reason. Solomon built Milo, closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was very able. He was a sharp, astute person. When Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. This guy was brilliant. He was astute. He was sharp, right? And, he, and so Solomon recognized it and put him in charge of things. Well, as he was carrying out his duty, one of the prophets, Ahijah, not Abijah, Abijah's going to appear later on in this story, Ahijah the prophet approaches him while he's doing some of the work he's doing and has this message. And I want you to read the message with me. We are in verse 30. Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that he had, tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, verse 31, take for yourself 10 pieces for here's what the Lord says, the God of Israel. Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon. We'll give you ten tribes. He'll have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city I've chosen. Because they have forsaken me and worshipped the Ashereth and the goddess of the Sidonians and Chemosh, god of Moab, and Milcom, god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what's right in my sight, keeping my statutes, my rules, as David his father did. So number one thing you need to get, God's punishing Solomon for worshiping idols and gods by giving you the largest portion of God's people. But he's going to save back some for him. I'll take the kingdom out of his son's hand, verse 35, and I will give to you ten tribes. Yet to his son I'll give one tribe and all that stuff for the sake of his name. I'll take you, verse 37, you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel. That leads to the second thing. Here's the key, Jeroboam, to you having the most successful dynasty. If you will listen to what I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my eyes by keeping the statutes and commandments, as my servant David did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house, just as I do for David, and give Israel to you. So here's the thing. I'm about to, I'm about to punish Solomon for what he's done in worshiping other gods, and I'm going to bless you with ten tribes, and you're going to be a great king if you'll just do what I tell you. If you'll get aboard the train, Jeroboam, and you'll do what I tell you, you will have a great, successful life and reign. This sounds promising, doesn't it? He's got all the ingredients. He's sharp, he's talented, he's capable. Great leadership skills. Very next chapter, chapter 12, verse 20, he's made king of these northern tribes. It's looking good, right? Well, chapter 12, he's made king in verse 20, but something begins to happen. And here's the thing, and the thing that we learn is no amount of skill or ability or knowledge, or even promise from God is worth anything if people don't obey him. If you can't be coached to submit to God 
All your brain power, good looks, talent, gifts, and abilities are of no use at all. And this is the hardest thing for human beings to grasp, right? We keep thinking to ourselves, even if we give God the credit, we, we can rely on our own wisdom, rely on our own abilities and talents. I can just kind of wing it. I've heard that a lot. Don't have to obey all the things that God tells us, because really I don't want to listen to anybody. But he does listen. So what I want you to do is turn to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and bit, built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, two main mistakes, and one of them is he listened to himself. Anytime a character in Scripture starts talking to themselves, it's usually a bad thing. You remember the, the guy who built bigger barns? He started talking to himself. Well, here's what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns and I won't have to... When they start talking to themselves, things go downhill because you start listening to yourself. Now, that doesn't mean you can't talk to yourself. Most of you in here probably do, right? Listen to what he says, though. Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem... Then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel. Now, that's, um, that's the second one, verse 28. We're not going to get there yet. It's political thinking. If I do what God says, it's going to lead here, and I don't like it. So I think I would rather go here, so I'm going to change this. If I do what God tells me to, if we stick with the law and do what God says, it's going to cost us. It's not going to lead to where I want. Politics is choosing what you believe based on where you think it will lead you. And instead of believing with conviction something and saying, I'll leave the consequences up to God. I'll just let God decide. I'm going to do what's right no matter what. That's doing righteousness. But being political is when if I do this, it will end up here, and that's not where I want to go. I want to go here, so I'm going to do this instead. And people have done this for years. If we insist on a cappella worship, what's going to happen? Well, all those people who like the instrument, they'll go somewhere else. So listen, in order to stay with this, in order to get where we want to go, we want to get more people. We want to get more influence. So let's, let's change. No, 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 no. How about let's stay with what God authorizes? How about let's stay right there and it, just let it go where it leads, y'all? Let's let it go where it leads. And if we come down in numbers, so what? If we actually maintain this sexual purity message, we'll lose all our young people because there's so many other people saying so many other groups saying it just doesn't matter whatever i mean you know just you know just be a pretty good person that's okay and and, and they're going there because that lets them do okay all right maybe 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 so we still don't need to change the message there's so many things people do in order to get a, 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 good, a big response out of people, they'll change their doctrine in order to get, it's called political thinking. I want more people, I want to have a greater 
uh, place to give my message to. I want more people to listen. And so in order to get more people, we'll do more accommodative things. And in doing that, you change the message and you're thinking politically. God doesn't ask you to think that way. He says this, I want you to preach my message and let it go where it needs to go. Follow where it goes. But then it says in verse 28, he took counsel with some people. It doesn't say who they were. And you know, taking counsel is a good idea. Proverbs says it's a good idea to have many advisors. But, but listen, just because you have a bunch of advisors doesn't mean you need to listen to them. Listen to where this leads. You take his political thinking of what is, you know, what's going to lead to where I want it to go. And then you take this, the, the counsel he took with other people, and this is what it leads to. And he made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other put in Dan, north and south. And then this thing became a sin. That's a weird line. We're going to get to that in a second. He was listening to somebody. Here's the smartest thing to do is build up your base, right? Fortify your base by putting some gods up here that we can worship so that we don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem and they might be drawn to go back to, to, to the south again, right? Let's, let's do something different. Let's build up. Okay, so um, this should have been known as bad advice. And it, it shouldn't have taken, he should have been able to call a four-year-old kid from out of Risa's class to come in and tell him why this is a very bad idea. Number one, you've got the Ten Commandments. And what do the first two Ten Commandments say? Come on, church, you know it, you're a Sunday night crowd. First one is you shall have no other gods. You don't have to know a hundred of the 613 laws to know that this was a bad idea. You get advice from somebody and said, why don't you make a golden calf? The alarm goes off, you got number one. Okay, but that's not all. Number two is you shall have... No graven image. So out of the top 10, 20% of them are violated by this. Not only that, but it's the top two. The first two you should ever learn. And then, his history should have kicked in here. Where have you heard that line before? Verse 28. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Where have you heard that before? Exact words. When Aaron made the calf, the exact same words. It's like he stole a script from Aaron. How did that work out, church? Do we have any doubt how bad that was? That, took, that sunk them, right? And it took this daring rescue from Moses to get them from being destroyed by God. This was a bad moment in history. He's marching through this, and he's marching right into bad territory. He doesn't know his history. There's a consequence to not knowing history. They should have gone, dee, dee, dee. I mean, the first one, and then the second one should have been, and then there's a third thing he should have remembered. When Ahijah came to him, chapter 11, why was God stripping ten tribes from Solomon? You remember, we just read it. For worshiping other gods. And day number one, he starts worshiping other gods. I mean, Total, total ridiculousness, right? He should have known this advice was bad. And it gets even worse. I, this phrase, I want you to see verse 30. I, 
I find it curious. I don't really know how to understand. I'll give you two or three options that I thought of, but this thing, then this thing became a sin. It became a sin. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, for, for Jeroboam to think those things is one thing. For him to do them and act on that thinking becomes sinful. And so just thinking is bad enough, but when he actually did it, it became... But the second thing you might look at is, is that when he did it, the people started acting on it, and it led the entire nation to sin. And it led to many awful things. This is what happens in the verses to come. The people worshiped those golden calves. He then built temples on all the high places. He built worship sitters all over the place, becoming idolatrous all through the land. He appointed priests who were not Levites. He just said, anybody want one? Anybody want a priesthood? And they started, he just let everybody. And this is not God's will, it's clearly. He changed the dates of the appointed feasts. He sacrificed his own offerings on the altar. This is no longer a slippery slope. This is a drastic dive, y'all. He just goes right into a life of sin. And that's what happens when you disregard the law of God. With your own political thinking, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to try to, do, uh, try to be successful and produce my own results. And you start listening to the, the bad people. He simply didn't have the depth of character to obey God. His skills went beyond his willingness to submit. Everything seemed like it would be right to him. But the end would be death. So God tries to help him out. The next chapter, there's this unnamed man of God who comes to him. Chapter 13, we're going to cover this next time in relation to these two strange prophets here in chapter 13. But we're going to get the rest of Jeroboam's story first. So Jeroboam's offering that sacrifice on this altar to a false god right and as he's doing that notice verse chapter 13 verse 1 a man of god came out from judah by the word of the lord to bethel jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings now again in your in your history what do you know happens when a king makes offerings do you remember a king making an offering king number one and he lost the throne because he made an offering that's not his authority that's not his realm and so he's all i mean this guy's just going uh nuts right and so he's standing by that altar to make offerings and the man cried out against the altar he is crying against the altar he is making a prophecy against a piece of furniture it's really a strange thing by the word of the lord he said oh altar altar talking to an altar a prophet talking to an altar i'm beginning to think he might be a little bit crazy but listen to him thus says the lord behold a son shall be born to the house of david josiah by name y'all i'm impressed when isaiah named cyrus but this is right up there with it almost 300 years before josiah exists there's this prophet who names him this is amazing stuff, right? So he names him. Later on, Josiah is going to, is going to make a sacrifice on this altar. Not, not an offering to God, but he's going to sacrifice the false priests themselves on this altar, right? On one of these altars. Human bones will be burned on it. 
And then he gave a sign. Here's how you know, because this sign, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar will be torn down, and ashes that are on it will be poured out. And I don't, we'll see in a minute that's going to happen. When the king heard him saying this, he stretched out his arm toward him and a pointed finger in order to say, seize him. But when he did that, his hand withered and he couldn't draw it back. And so this prophet because he was going to, speaking against a, a true prophet, God punished him by withering his arm. This happened, and while this happened, that altar was done. Notice verse 5. The altar was torn down. The ashes poured out from the altar. Was that a human action? Was God doing that in a, in a dramatic way? I don't know. It doesn't say. That's verse 5. And then, then Jeroboam says, uh, Will you please pray for me to the prophet to restore my arm? And he does. God, in his grace, decides to heal him as a way to try to show him he needs to make a U-turn. God sends him a prophet to correct him. But I want you to turn to verse 33 because the rest of that story is really strange. We'll get to it next time, but the story continues in verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again, from among the people, any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became sin to the house of Jeroboam. It didn't change a thing. His arm withered in judgment from God. God in his grace restored it, hoping he would return to God. And it didn't touch Jeroboam at all. When grace shown to you, when discipline put upon you doesn't cause you to change something is wrong there's one last chance that God has 14 this time his son by this time he has a son named Abijah is born and Jeroboam is worried about him because he's very sick and he wants to know if he's going to heal him if God's going to let him survive and so he sends his wife in disguise with some gifts to this old prophet, not the unnamed one, he's dead now, but to Ahijah, the original one. The original one who told him, you're going to be king. And he says, uh, I want you, he says to his wife, I want you to dress up to where he can't recognize you and know he's, who you are. I want you to dress up, I want you to go to him, I want you to find out if our son's going to live or not. Because this guy is old, he cannot see any longer, and so he's a blind man, and it's just kind of, he's thinking he can fool him and get some information out of him. His wife walks over to Ahijah's house. Goes up on the porch, probably a wooden one, is about to knock on the door, and Ahijah from within says, Come on in, wife of Jeroboam. Oh, that's, I've got some unbearable news for you. And he does. Here's the news that he shares with him Your husband has been unfaithful, and I'm about to cut him off. That dynasty I was going to give him, it's revoked. Promise. Restore, promise is just destroyed. When you enter the, sin, the, the city again, when you go back and enter the city where you live, your son will die. I want you to see verses 12 and 13. This is some of the saddest stuff. Arise, therefore, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. Now, if you're a mother and you hear that, what do you do? How many move instantly? I don't go back to the city. That would be the smart thing to do. Just don't go back in the city. 
I don't know if she doesn't believe it or not. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For, the on, for, for he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave because of him. In him there is found something pleasing to the Lord, the God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. God took his life, and it's the only decent person in Jeroboam's entire family. That's so strange. If God hadn't taken this child, he'd be doomed too. A king will be raised up who will eliminate all of Jeroboam's family. That will be Basha, chapter 15, verse 29. And finally, he says, because of you, Israel will be overtaken. Here's the weird thing about that last one. He's the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel, and already God has cast a judgment on the entire nation because of the first king. And it's mostly because he sets up a precedent that none of the other kings change. They cannot seem to buck the tradition that he hands down. And the question becomes like this. If everyone follows you and lives, everyone after you lives just like you, how will it go for them? Interesting question. Jeroboam finally dies, and according to 2 Chronicles 13, God struck him dead in some way. It doesn't say describing this. But Jeroboam is just this tragic figure. Everything he does crashes. You never met people like this? Everything they touch just kind of crashes? I know some people that, that they've earned this nickname of crash because everything they touch crashes. That's just kind of one of those things. And that's what he's like. He just, everything he touches crumbles. How would you describe the moral of this story? What are we supposed to learn from him? And this is where the reading tonight comes in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's that mean? It means I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do what he asks. I'm going to live the way he wants me to. I'm going to think what he wants me to think. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to trust that his word is right. And don't lean, this is like saying the same thing in a negative way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is called negative parallelism. And lean not on your own understanding. Don't trust your own skills. Don't trust your own abilities. Don't trust your own talents. Don't trust completely in your own intuition. Now, if that's the case, remember this when trusting your natural talents and abilities rather than God's truth. You might be a very wise person. You might be very good at what you do. You might be a sharp intellect and have a high IQ. You may be good with intuition, right? You may have a, your gut is pretty sharp and pretty accurate. And I even think like spiritual gifts are kind of like this. Spiritual gifts are when God takes maybe your natural ability and he wants you to use it for the glory of God. But be very careful you don't start trusting those talents and those abilities and your own reasoning skills over what God clearly says. In 1 Corinthians 14, there's this description of the first, of the first century, one of their worship services. And it, he says to the, 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 the tongue speakers, because some of the tongue speakers are saying, this is a gift I've got, and I can't control it, and God overtakes me, and God just uses me as his instrument. And God, Paul says, no, that's not how it works. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the control of the prophets. Sometimes you have this talent and ability. I remember Jimmy Allen once was asked, 
guy, student in class, said, uh, Brother Allen, anybody remember Jimmy Allen? He's very gruff. He kind of barks, right? He kind of barked at people. And somebody said, Brother Allen, uh, I've got this ability to play guitar, and I want to I use it in worship. And it just seems like the most natural thing is for me to use my gift to bless the worship. And Jimmy also, I can see why you think that, son, he said. Just like that. I mean, I'm, this is what he sounded like. But let me tell you something. 50 years old. 50 years old. I can hit a baseball farther than anybody in this room. And he would probably think that. I can hit a baseball farther than anybody in this room. But I don't need to use it in worship. Your talent doesn't give you justification to use that talent any way you see fit. This guy was sharp. He had this ability to, to look at a crowd and know how to, how to manage people. But the problem was he would do that instead of trusting in God. Be careful. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding when you're prone to trusting your own talent or reasoning over God's truth. There are some things that make sense to me that are totally against what God says. But they make sense to me. It sounds logical to me. I was raised in a country where we're talking about equality and everybody's equality, and it's true. We're all equal. And I think about the, woman's, the, the women's role and leadership and all that. And I understand equality is true. Equality in same roles is not the same thing. There's a difference in this. And my gut tells me, you know, God, this is kind of, you're kind of being narrow here. There's some great skills and abilities within our sisters here. And I just don't understand, and I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. But you don't want a church being led by my reasoning. <laughs> you don't want some human being with great pizzazz and personality uh, to be the one you follow. You want... You want it to be God and his word. The best you know how. That needs to be what we use. And so be careful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Remember this when you're weighing the advice from other people. You're, you're tempted to act on, boy, there's some people with some great advice. That sounds so reasonable to me. Here's one of them that's most difficult. When we're told we gotta, we gotta forgive those who forgive against, uh, for, sin against us. And I have people all the time that will come up with a story that is so awful. I want to say to them, well, I understand. I can see why you don't want to forgive. That's terrible. They should have never done that. It's unfair. And they'll say, but do I still have to forgive? Well, I can see why you wouldn't. I'm not asking what you can see. Do I still have to forgive? Yes. That sexual abuse when I was eight? Yes. Or somebody says, the way he treats you, just ditch the old boy and move on. I understand why that's said. I've felt like giving that advice before myself. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean out on your own understanding. Jeroboam didn't do that. Remember that when keeping your position and influence is more important to you than doing what God says is right. I want to keep this, and I want to aspire to my dreams, and I'm going in pursuit of my dreams, but when your dream comes into conflict with the Word of God, you've got to alter it. 
the rich young ruler. Ultimate dream, rich man, all these good things he can do. And Jesus says to him, sell all you have, give to the poor. He couldn't do it. The dream and the word were clashing. And he went with the dream. And a lot of us want to do the same thing. And then you hear the words, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. Remember, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on understanding. Remember that when looking spiritual is more important to you than being godly. Does that make sense? When being, looking spiritual is more important to you than being godly. Listen, here's, here's what Jeroboam did. First thing he did when he became king, he set up places of worship all over. He called for prayer. He called for festivals. This sounds so right. He encourages prayer and he urges people to worship. Isn't that right? Well, it depends. When you couch things in spiritual language today, people are impressed and they think, I just can't argue against spiritual things. But what if it looks spiritual, but it's not biblical? Things done. We have a national religion. I don't know if you noticed that, but almost anything that benefits America is considered a God-approved thing. God bless America. Well, yeah, but God bless Europe. God bless England. God bless Africa. God bless... Why, why, okay, anything done that will bless our country, will make us, make America great again, must be good. Well, we've spiritualized patriotism. Be really, really careful because it looks spiritual, but it may not be biblical. And we want to be both. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your understanding, and then... Be careful of this when maintaining your course is so important to you that God's discipline and instruction are ignored. There are checks and balances in the kingdom of God. God has prophets, wise spiritual advisors in your life who will come and offer correction, offer different, different insight that's more biblical, and you need to listen to them. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to Jeroboam to straighten him out and he disregarded them all. God sometimes places people in your life to give you an alternative theory, alternative guidance about something that you're doing and when something that you are doing is corrected, needs to be corrected, well then move. Then move. Don't just maintain your course out of stubborn pride. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Jeroboam didn't. And he lost his legacy, he lost his kingship, and he lost his life. So we'd say the message from Jeroboam is this, simply trust in the Lord. Obey him, follow him. It's as simple as that instruction given to Jeroboam when Ahijah decided from God, you're going to be the king of these ten tribes. All you have to do, it's amazing, all you have to do is listen to me and obey my commandments and I'm going to bless you. So let God bless you. Let God bless you. 
by you positioning yourself for it by obeying him. And if anybody this evening needs to respond, make it known now as we stand, as we sing together.